0: Wow, okay, I think I can do this now. I don't know if you guys saw my Facebook post, but I, I'm not anti-tattoo, but everyone around me seems to be getting tattoos and I thought I'd get my first tattoo. Right here, it's, a, it's removable, and I can replace it with something in the future. It says, the future is fun. We are so optimistic about the future if you have a kingdom lens and a kingdom perspective. We've read the book. We win because of what God has done. Amen? We have to hold that perspective. As dark and as ugly as things around us seem to be spinning right now, in the end, we win. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, it will be difficult. But we have a king and we have a leader who's already whooped them. Amen? So we just need to walk in that victory and spread that with others. I want to thank uh, Steve Montgomery, Don Scott. We have been talking about, uh, we we started a series kind of based on returning to the Word of God, like in the book of Nehemiah. Returning to the Word is what we need to do in a time like this. We need to stay glued to what God is speaking, not the opinions of men. Now, there are some good things being said out there, I'll say that, but at the end of the day, it's the Word of God that's going to stand true and firm in the winds of adversity. Amen? Good, I like that. We're getting involved here, a little comeback. Uh, We've spent some considerable amount of time talking about the kingdom of God and the gospel of the kingdom, right? Right? We've been talking about uh, this gospel of salvation versus the kingdom of God theology and how they both play in the game, but one takes us up to the cross. The gospel the, of salvation takes us up to the cross, but it's the gospel of the kingdom. If you can embrace that, takes you way beyond that and allows you to become who God is calling you to be. I love Teresa's word, ripping off the grave clothes cloths coming out and being who you were called to be. And some of us are still being hung on and things still hanging on. It's kind of like zombies, you know? You're like, come on, we're free in Christ, right? So let's walk in that freedom and let's express how free we are to the world. Well, then we spent some time talking about the seven parables in Matthew 13, where Jesus begins to describe what the kingdom of God is like. What Attributes someone who is a kingdom-minded person should be walking in and like. There's some, we have not hit them all, and I'm not going to hit them all. I'm going to wrap this up today, but I want to move on to something that I think God is speaking in this moment. That's so important for us to understand and hear. But we talked about we talked about the farmer scattering the seed, and we talked about the wheat and the weeds. Good job, Steve Montgomery. Very good job. Good job. We didn't really talk about the mustard seed, but read the book. It's a powerful analogy. Don uh, Scott took on the yeast or the leaven. Great word, Don. (laughs) It's so fun to watch other people share their perspective and how it allows us to see something that's multifaceted from a different position or perspective, right? That's what I love about having other voices share. There's a hidden treasure in the pearl. There's there's the parable of the fishing net. But I want to go to the very end. The very end. One thing about the leaven that's so important is leaven. If it's done right, is so potent. And in the end, we challenged you. How potent are you? Are you making a difference in your circle of influence? Are you moving the barometer? Is the gauge moving? Is anything happening when people are engaged with you? Only you can answer that. But how potent are you? The good seed in, this, in these parables really is us, the children of the kingdom of heaven. We are the good seed that Jesus is scattering out amongst the weeds and the other things that are out there because he wants to pepper the world with us. If we just cloister here and stay here, this is nothing. But if we can take this out there into our circles that all of us run in, different circles. I love Max's perspective. Max is on a hill. I'm on a hill. But we have the same mission. We have the same purpose. I love that. And we all should have that in mind. We all have a calling and a nudging. Are you doing your part? So let's move on. Turn with me to Matthew 13. We're going to look at verses 51 and 52. And while you're looking those up, I'll just say this. You know, Matthew is concluding Jesus' teaching um, on the parables, and he, and he asks his disciples a question. And, and, and the question comes from Jesus to his disciples, and he mixes in this exciting riddle about what understanding the Scriptures and seeking the kingdom life is all about. What's it like? Okay? Matthew 13. 51 and 52. This is out of the NIV. Have you understood all these things? Jesus is asking them, we just, I just shared all these parables. Have you understood all these things? To me, this really shows that Jesus is incredibly patient. Incredibly patient. He's not yelling at them, why can't you get this? He does it in a few other places, but not right here. He just simply says, do you guys understand what just happened? Do you guys understand what was just said? Here's what happens is a lot of people came to see Jesus and the miracles. They came to see the Jesus show. They weren't there really to hear a teaching. They came to watch what was going to happen. Who is this mystery man? Who is this Jesus who raises people from the dead, who lays hands on the sick? Everybody in his presence is healed. Who is this guy? They really didn't come to listen to the teaching, for the most part. So Jesus is saying, do you guys understand all these things? They said to him, yes, yes. And Jesus said to them, listen, this is so powerful. He said, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple, key word, of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Now, some would say that this is not a parable. Some would argue that it, it is. I'm just saying this is what Matthew wrote. And these were the very words of Jesus. Jesus. So let them speak to your heart this morning. So he was asking them if they truly perceived the meaning of the parables that he had just shared. And he was asking them if these parables and what these parables revealed, I wrote, about the nature of their lives and choices as they pertain to the kingdom. He was asking them, how how does all this work in your life? How does this pertain to the kingdom? And they'd affirm that they did understand all these things. Because they understood them, Jesus goes into, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and things old. So to understand this enigmatic statement, this this uh, mysterious, perplexing statement that Jesus just made... We have to consider the terms that Jesus uses. So we've got to put this in context. Okay? So let's go down the list of what Jesus is describing here. Really quickly. A scribe. A scribe. A scribe is someone who scribes. They write. But these particular scribes that he's referring to are ones who have been writing the scripture over and over. And they didn't have printing presses. They didn't have a thing you ran down to a quickie mart and put it on a, uh, you know, a copy machine and run off 400 copies. They meticulously wrote it and wrote it again and again and again and again. They were very intimate with the contact, the content of the law. They were very content with what Jesus, uh, what they had learned and, and had seen and written over the future. They had just over and over by repetition, they become incredibly familiar I wrote here, a scribe is someone who understands the meaning and the messages of written words, specifically the scriptures. Scribes possess a, a deep and wide understanding of the scriptures, their meaning, and the message behind them. They know what has been revealed by God and the prophets of old in the Old Testament, so they treasure up what has been already been taught in the Old and the New. That's what they do. Scribes or people, you could say that they had written the word upon their heart. Uh, Cyril Hunkler, where's Cyril at? Right there. I don't know how I missed you. He's just like, you move over about five feet and you'll be in the light, brother. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is a, is, is a walking treasure of Bible knowledge. My goodness. He knows it here, but he knows it here. And there are many of you in this room, but a lot of times, uh, Cyril, do you know, da-da-da, and he'll rattle it off verbatim. It's written on his heart. He carries it with him as a treasure. Next, we see the word a, discipler, or a disciple. Excuse me, A disciple is a learner. They are a follower. They are a student. And we're going to hear later that they are an imitator. A head of the household is the person who has the most authority. I'm just breaking this scripture down. A head of the household has the most authority in the house or the family. They are responsible for everything in the house, and everything in the house ultimately belongs to the head of the household. Now, let's not get lost in thinking of family and husbands and wives and children and all. Think of you yourself. You are the gatekeeper of you, right? In the end, we're all going to stand alone before the Lord. So this really is focusing in on you. You are the head of your own household yourself. You got that? You're the keeper of your heart. You're the keeper of what goes in and out of here, especially here. You're the one that controls that. Their treasure is what belongs to the head of the household, and it's the head of the household's treasure. That's what Jesus says. And the kingdom of heaven is Jesus's kingdom. And the opportunity that we have to participate in it, it, if we understand the offer and are faithful to accept it, is what Jesus is saying. Jesus says that every scribe, everyone who understands the scriptures well, who who becomes a disciple, who diligently seeks the kingdom of heaven, is like the head of a household, one who has authority over his treasure. Is this making sense? I'm getting a lot of people looking at me, kind of strange. I I hope it does. It, It made sense to me one time, but so a scribe's treasure, you are the scribes. A scribe's treasure is their knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. That's your treasure. And out of their wealth of scriptural knowledge, I wrote this kingdom seeking scribe will bring forth treasures that are both new things and old. How many, how many are kind of, this is kind of ding, ding, ding. I see one hand. That's good. <clears throat> In other words, I wrote, the scribe's understanding will beautifully affirm timeless truths that they and others have long understood. You getting it now?
1: Amen.
0: There, thank you. And I'll just read my note here. And their their kingdom-oriented insight will uncover new understandings of Scripture that has always been present but could only be seen in the light of the kingdom. There you go. When the kingdom of heaven and that whole theology of the kingdom of of heaven begins to shift, it, it places a light upon Scripture's old and new. It allows us to put on another lens and see what God is doing in such a time as this. If we just ran our lives on just the gospel of salvation where I'm saved, I'm good, I'm golden. Then you're going to sit on the bench and you're going to sit here and wait for the Jesus bus to come. No, I don't need to get in the game. I'm just going to sit here and let the, no, not that bus. That one says going to Medford. Oh, hey, here comes the Jesus bus. It says rapture on it. And you wonder why sitting there you're frustrated. You wonder why cobwebs are hanging all over you. You wonder why you can hardly move. Yeah, It's because you haven't been able to look through the lens that God is moving towards you that allows you to see with a kingdom mindset. When I understood... And and this was in my DNA years ago. It's what we cut our teeth on was just the reality of the kingdom of heaven. How God was calling us to not only the cross, but God was calling my wife and I to move beyond the cross. That's when everything exploded. Life happened. We got to play in the game. We just simply didn't sit there and and watch everybody else do it. I, I grew up in a church that said, your job is to sit in the pew. Don't drink and chew and run with those that do. Are you kidding me? John Wimber said, I got to do the devil's stuff. When do I get to do God's stuff? And that's what I love about a kingdom mindset is we get to do God's stuff. Yeah. God speaks, we speak. And the beauty of it is, is if you're a been a faithful scribe, you're reaching back into your knowledge and your treasure that's, that's in your heart from the word of God. And, and you begin to see scriptures from the old in light of something new. And you go, whoa, I never saw it that way how many are starting to kind of see this spin a little bit here well i right. two more hands that's good again these truths were always there but they were and are largely invisible i wrote or unappreciative appreciate excuse me by those who do not understand the kingdom of god so it's the scribe hopefully you who seeks the kingdom of heaven, who has eyes to see, who has ears to hear what the scriptures have to more fully reveal and say. Are you hungry for more? Yeah. Remember, that's kind of a tricky one. We want more, God. We want more, God. I remember being in that place and God said, what are you doing with what I've already given you? We have to always remember that. you know uh, good teachers i believe it's their calling to bring forth the revelation of god and his word is the treasure and as you bring forth the treasures to the people you do it with both old and new insights you bring it with both old testament incredible stories that really point towards new testament stuff they both they both balance each other out it's like david how was david able to stand to Goliath. He didn't even call Goliath out by name. He just said, how dare you mock the armies of the living God? Today, I'm going to rip your head off. He didn't say that. How was he able to do that? Because he understood the old. He understood that the promises of God said, this bad guy is standing on your land, David. It's time to take it back. And this is what bothers me about Christianity today is God created the rainbow. God created the crystals. God created all of the stuff that the world ripped out of our hands. We let them have it. And they got in the bus and started driving and told us to get to the back of the bus. I'm done with that. It's time for us to take back what is ours. So Dutch Sheets does this beautiful word on forward the command, and I'm still trying to get my head around it, but it's not F-O-R-W-A-R-D, it's F-O-R-E, word, the command, and it's speaking forth what was already done and settled. You have to know what the Old Testament says to really understand a lot of the New Testament. You do. They both go hand in hand, and this idea that when God and Jesus and, and, and you know, John, uh, He was beheaded and he was the last prophet. He was the last of his kind. I get all that. But that doesn't mean the Old Testament was slid off the table. There's so much rich stuff in the Old Testament. But it points to the new. You really got to get down. And I hope that that is some deep treasure within your heart. I hope you value and you guard that. And when someone comes along, you're able to tell your story. You're able to tell his story with both old and new. Amen? Amen? So I want to shift gears completely. Full stop. We're gonna now we're gonna shift gears. Because I wanna move into what I think God has been speaking to my heart, and I believe it was confirmed at the conference. Sandy and I went to the Vineyard Conference. It was wonderful and it was great to hear what they were sharing out of Matthew thirteen and where where it's going, and it's where my notes had already been written for. I love that when that happens. And we were challenged with some really deep thinking. This forward, the command thing, I'm still digging deep into that. But it's speaking for things that were already written. David had no problem stepping into the fray, even though this guy was huge and giant. Goliath was like 14 feet tall or some crazy thing. And here's David. He was just a wee little ruddy guy. But he knew what the story, how the story was written. He read the forward and he spoke the forward. That's what's in the front of a book. It's kind of giving you insight into what's happening. And he spoke which was already spoken, and he's spoken into the future, and look what happened. They won the battle. And they still own that land today, by the way, just in case anyone's wondering. So, let's move on. I've been thinking a lot about a phrase that I heard, I think Robert shared it the other day, and I've heard it years ago, but it never really dawned on me how powerful this phrase was, and that is the phrase, a mile wide and an inch deep. How many have heard that expression, a mile wide and an inch deep? I think the Americanized contemporary Christian church, the capital C church, there we go, capital C church out there, can often be described as being that A mile wide, but very shallow, like a half inch deep. Its circulation is vast, but again, its influence is minimal. And human nature really does reveal—if you've ever watched kids—it really does reveal that we are followers. We are imitators of others. We have a saying here at school: "You're either a follower or a leader." But either both 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 sides will follow something. If you're a follower a follower, follow a good leader. If you're a good leader, follow another good leader. But don't follow bad imitators. You know, we've watched how children learn to walk and talk and and how they learn to listen. They watch their parents. They, they, They watch others operate. And they pick up those mannerisms. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we all kind of become a product of the circle that we're in and the environment that we run with. Well, hey, In 1889, there was an American journalist, and and he was the one who introduced this phrase. And it's still used today, this mile-wide, inch-deep, is still used today to describe someone or something that's superficial, trivial, or unimportant. That's that's right out of the dictionary. I had to research this. I wanted to know what this really meant. The phrase, a mile-wide and an inch-deep, the journalist was actually describing the Platte River out of the Midwest. Now... he, he says here, and although it is an important part of the Missouri River watershed, it was disqualified because for any kind of major navigation because, yes, it was wide, but it was too deep to navigate. I'm sorry. You guys are paying attention. That's great. Great. Thank you. And, and this is a quote from him. He said, The river has a large circulation, but very little influence. It covers a great deal of ground, but it's, it is not deep. In some places, it is a mile wide and three quarters of an inch deep. And the phrase was born. And whenever they use the phrase today, it's usually not used as a compliment, it's kind of a derogatory kind of thing. And, and so, think of the average Americanized Christian church today. We can have incredibly large circulation out in the world, but we're having very little influence. In fact, I would go on to say that in some places we've been kicked away from the table. And you know what? A lot of it's our own fault. We should be at the table. We should be in the conversations. But what happened? If we're not careful... You, me, others—we run the risk of being a mile wide, and maybe a quarter inch deep. How deep are you? How wide is your influence? How much of effect does it really have on others? You got to think about that for a moment. According to God's word, turn with me to Third John, verse one. I'm sorry, Third John, chapter one, verse eleven. There we go. According to God's word, part of the problem and part of the solution is direct, directly related to this practice of imitation. 3 John chapter 1, verse 11 says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. So what are we supposed to be imitating? Good. Good. I'm going to say something, and I mean it with all sincerity, but I'm not trying to question your salvation. I just want to challenge your heart. Sometimes Jesus will speak things to our mind that offends our heart, and it really shows us where we're at. You may think That you are a Christian. But are you sure? You may think that you are a Christian. I believe. But are you sure? Thank you. Are you sure? You know, Jesus' call to follow Him was more than just an invitation to pray a prayer. When, When Jesus called us... He called you, he called me. What it really was, was a summons to lose your life. It was a summons to not only lose your life, but find a new life in him. Better, full of unspeakable joy. That's a deep, that's deep. He didn't call you to Disneyland. He didn't call you to happy times. He called you to come and to lose your life in him. Turn with me to Matthew 4.19. Matthew 4.19. I'm going to read out of the Amplified first, and then I'm going to read it out of the 21st King James Version. 21st century, New King James. Jesus' invitation to come follow Him. Listen to this. This is out of the Amplified. He said to them, follow me. As my disciples, accepting me as your master and teacher and walking the same path of life that I walk. Wait a minute. The evangelist didn't say that part. He just said, come follow Jesus. It'll all be singing in the halls. (laughs) No, that's not what Jesus said. Unfortunately, this is what some people have been told. And I will make you fishers of men. By the way, that is the mission of Jesus. So in the King James, the New King James 21st century version, it says, and he said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if we're going to give a simple definition of a disciple, it is someone who follow me, they know Christ and they're following after him. I will make you Their lives, a disciple's life is being changed by Jesus daily. As we yield ourselves to him, he more and more reflects and and changes us more into his image. The third is fishers of men. Come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. A disciple, a true disciple is not only a follower of Christ, but they're committed to the mission of Jesus. So what did Jesus mean when he said, follow me, follow me? What if we really listened to the words and we heard what he was saying? And I wrote here, when people truly engage with Jesus's personal invitation to follow him, everything changes. For he is worthy of all of our trust and he and he alone is worthy of all of our affection. In Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So to get into the kingdom of heaven, something needs to happen. So what does this word conversion mean in biblical terms? Conversion simply means a turning away from. It's it's like the same word repentance, turn away from, go the other way. In the Greek, it means to fully turn. So I I wrote here, it is a dramatic turning from one path in order to pursue an entirely new one. How many have experienced that in your life? When you left everything behind you, you actually knew that you were walking a whole new path. Was it easy? No. But did you know that he was there with you walking beside you? Absolutely. Absolutely. It involves, I wrote some just bullet points here. It involves turning one's back <clears throat> to the system of the world and its anti-God values, being converted. It involves turning away from dead religion to self-righteous and, and self-righteousness. A lot of self-righteous people out there in the world today. It's disgusting, especially in the family of believers. Ah, oh, it breaks my heart. It involves a complete pivot and about-face in order to enter through the narrow gate that leads to life. That's being a convert. But what if I told you that Jesus didn't want us to just win converts? What if I said that in all the Scripture, and I wrote here, we are never told to just convert anyone? What if I propose that people accepting Jesus into their life does not fulfill our mission? What if I propose that people accepting Jesus into their life does not fulfill our, mas- our mission? It doesn't. Just believing in Jesus is not enough. We don't dance around the neighborhoods with a little wand, go up and prang them on the head with something, and they're converted, and now they're just, it doesn't work that way. Not at all. Jesus did not call us to make just converts. He called us to make disciples who disciple disciples, who disciple disciples. And this has gone on for thousands of years. That's the process. That's the way it should be going. If we're going to expand the kingdom, we need to understand this. It's not about just sharing this loving, hugging little gospel that makes people feel good. It's about being truthful and honest. And if we're not, we're not introducing them to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who radically wants to change their life. Amen. We're not. But if we're, we're, we have that heart, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That doesn't mean we just go out and, and, and just throw the gospel everywhere and run around. "Whoa! I, I led 8,500 people to the Lord today. They all said yes. Probably a lot of those said yes, because you annoyed them. <laughs> I've heard that from people. I said yes, because I was just annoyed and wanted them to go away. But when you begin to talk to these people and you go, "How, how many of those brought you into their circle?" because those people understood discipleship. So not only did they share Jesus with them, they walked it out right beside them and with them. Are we doing that? You know, let's be honest. One of the things we need to understand about preaching the gospel that Jesus preached is it really is an inconvenient truth. Think about it. Jesus called you to pick up your cross? What does that mean? Come follow him? Possibly die? I mean, go to a third world country. In this country, we can, we can run around saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And we're really not going to get much persecution other than you're crazy or you're just goofy or you're weird or you're a Jesus freak. I've heard all those labels. But man, you go to a third world country and let's say you're a Muslim And you give your heart to Jesus and you become a Christian, it costs you everything. We're so comfortable in this this nation. I love this country, but we're so comfortable and we've watered down this part of come follow me to where it's like, you know, you can follow Jesus, you can believe in him, but you can still stay at home, you can still do your thing, you can still do all the stuff you did before, just believe. And I get in some circles where people say, hey, I believe so, I'm saved. I don't know. Paul says something about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Come on. I wrote out of the desire to win converts, some places, numbers. You go into church and they got a number board. The church often tried to make Jesus more convenient. And again, this is what our culture right now is all about, is convenience. So we're seeing this watering down of the gospel. And we've talked about this, but it really does reflect the culture. And believe me, it can be an easy trap to fall into. Let's not tell them the hard stuff, Pastor. We don't want them running for the door. We want to see numbers. We want to whoo, We want to see this place explode with growth. Are you kidding me? I don't want just a bunch of converts. Yes, I get it on the front end. I love babies, but not when they're 40 years old and you're still changing diapers. That's not fun. Not at all. I want to see disciples sitting in every one of these chairs who are discipling others. You know, I wrote here, carrying out our cross has been reduced from a radical relationship of self-sacrificing love and humility to cheap advertisements. Where we have bracelets and jewelry and bumper stickers, and we sell them on Etsy and every other place. Oh, don't, don't look at that sticker. <laughs> and a lot of stuff that's being said today, really, it, it's turning Jesus into something maybe just uh, a little more than just some fire insurance. You gotta believe, because you're gonna go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> Whew, I wanna make sure I check that box off. I believe but I'm going to go do my thing. But I, I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. Maybe not, but you're going to be accountable for what you did not do. And here's one of the things in John four thirty five. Jesus is saying, depends on the translation, but he's basically saying, you know, you guys have a saying that the harvest is in four months. And Jesus saying, look up, Lift up your eyes. Look out right now. There is a field that's white out there ready for the harvest. Jesus is saying, what are you doing? You got your head down. You're staring at your toes or your navel, whatever. Look up. Look around. You need to be out there doing it because the harvest is ripe. It's ready. And a true disciple and follower of Jesus would be in tune with that. And they'd be out there just doing what God called them to do. Kind of getting off my notes here, but that's okay. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How many have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? A few of you. Dietrich Dietrich Bonhoeffer was the voice when Nazi occupied Germany was going on, and he was the voice. I think he was a Lutheran pastor, if I remember right. Yes. Yes. He was amazing. He was not gonna bend. You know, they were, they were saying, you need to water that down, Dietrich. They're going to, you know, you're going to get in trouble. He didn't care because that's not what the gospel s- spoke to him. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, he said something here somewhere. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. How many of you heard that when you were sitting there receiving Jesus? Oh, by the way, you're signing up to give your total life to Jesus, and it may cost you your life. That doesn't cost everybody like that, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he didn't bow down. The guy was hung with a piano string, naked. He was a powerful, powerful voice in a moment when the world needs voices, and the rest of the church around him seemed to just shrink back and just stand back and go, Oh, Jesus just wouldn't want us to do anything. Jesus wouldn't want us to stand up and speak or press back. Stop it. You're coming to a point where you're going to have to decide, guys. Because right now, there's a lot of stuff happening in the natural, but the supernatural is starting to bust in. And the supernatural starts to happen. You're going to have to pick whose side you're on. I'm not meddling, but I am. Get right with Jesus. Is he your Lord? Is he your savior? Is he your teacher? Are you a disciple, a true follower of Christ? Or just in name only? You know, I'm going to just go on a few notes here. I wrote here, we have made Jesus just a small part of our lives. I'm talking the capital C, Christianized, Americanized Christianity where we have just made Jesus a small part of our life. He's kind of like our plus one. Of course I believe in Jesus. I have a book on a shelf somewhere that talks about him. But, oh, yeah, I got my bobblehead Jesus in my car as I drive down the road. He's everywhere. (coughs) Following Jesus, guys, requires all of our life not just a compartment of our life, not just a little piece of our life. It requires all of us. Are you all in? When you think of the disciples, they ate, they drank, they sweat, they slept, ministry. From the moment when Jesus first called them and said, follow me, until they graduated into an eternity. Jesus wasn't part of their life. He was all of their life. So, is Jesus all of your life, or is he just a part of your life? He is seeking men and women who will follow him, whatever the cost. Jesus is looking on the horizon and he's searching for radical devotion. He is searching for unreasonable commitment, he is searching for undivided dedication. Jesus isn't just looking for converts. Yes, that's part of the process in the beginning. But Jesus is looking for disciples. You know, converts are simply just new believers. That's where we all start, like I said. But too often we stop there. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, You can turn there if you want. I'll just read it really quick. Paul writes, when I was a child, I talked like an adult. No. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reason like a child. But when I became a man, when I finally grew up and matured, I put the ways of childhood behind me. You know, for years the Capital C Church has worked hard at creating programs that to, to, to make to help people make this decision to accept Christ. I think that's a great thing. Billy Graham and all these I, I loved that brother. And others like him that went out there and faithfully just preached Jesus. But in the end, what happens next? What happens after we just accept Jesus? And that's one of my challenges that just irks me today is there's people running around on the streets. I get it. They're preaching the gospel. They pat them on the back and say, see you later. Myself, I, I get it. You could be planting seeds and, and someone's going to water and someone maybe. But statistically, I've never seen that work too well. What I have seen is when you speak and you preach and you lead someone to Christ, you take personal responsibility to take them as far as you can in Jesus. You become their discipler, and they become a follower of your ways as you follow Christ. puts a huge responsibility on you, but that's what we're called to do. Again, our mission isn't to win converts. It's to make disciples. So what's the difference? I just 10 things really fast just to contrast, converts and disciples. Converts are believers who live like the world. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm still doing my own thing. Whereas disciples are believers who live like Jesus. Converts are focused on their values, their interests, their worries, their fears, their priorities, and their lifestyles. Disciples are focused on Jesus. Converts go to church. Disciples understand they are the church. That is huge. Converts are involved in the mission of Jesus. Yes. But the disciples are committed to it. Converts cheer from the sidelines. Disciples are in the game. In this fellowship, I hope you hear me drone that time and time again. You're not here as a spectator. You're here because God wants to call you into the game. You have a position to play. Converts follow the rules. Disciples follow Jesus. Converts are all about believing. Disciples are all about being. Converts are comfortable. Disciples make sacrifices. Converts talk. Disciples make more disciples. So a disciple, at the end of the day, is someone who wholeheartedly follows the life and the example of Jesus, who makes his mission their mission. His values, their values. His heart aligns with their heart. So where are you at in that? A disciple is someone who desperately seeks to be like Jesus. A disciple is someone who is so committed to Christ Mm, that they will follow him to hell and back. Amen. I know some people like that. It's their story, but they gave everything and went places that no one would really want to go. In our early life, and this isn't a toot horn, it's what God called us to. My wife and I were so committed and we understood what it meant to be a follower of Christ we sold our home. Now, this is our story. I'm not saying this is a prerequisite to something deeper. This is our story. But we sold our home and we went full-time ministry. We have crawled under bridges to bring food to people who had no food. We've gone into places. We were around people who had hepatitis and all these weird diseases and stuff. And God never let us down. Never. We knew that we were in his hands. And I believe that has a lot to do with where we're at today, my wife and I. It's because we realize if we're going to follow Jesus, yeah, it's going to cost us. And it has cost us tremendously over the years. But God also has blessed us beyond our wildest imagination. He's blessed us with people like you. He's blessed us with an amazing family, a home. I mean, the list goes on and on. You honor him and he honors you. If you're tired of and you're frustrated, things aren't working, what's going on, maybe you're not honoring God like you should be. That's a word for some of you in here today. And if you start honoring God like you should, He will honor you. We don't do it to get. We do it because we're supposed to. That's what He's called us to do. So I'm going to wrap this up. Skip a little bit of this, but... Again, I hope you can hear this. Jesus calls us to make disciples who disciple. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples. He didn't say just go run out in the street, put up a sign, and and tell people to repent, and then you walk away and take your sign down. Now, I've seen people do that. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying at the end of the day, there is a message out there that draws them to Christ, and it's got to be driven by the Holy Spirit, not just because it's a thing to notch off your belt there. But I wrote here, Matthew 28, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey. In our culture today, we don't like to hear the word obey. I, I mean, we founded this country on incredible freedom. I get it. We came out from underneath that king lordship stuff over in England. And all over. I, I get all that. But at the end of the day, we miss something when we say, we don't need a king. I'm sorry. I need a king in my life. I need a lord in my life. Because if I don't, I'll go to the Pacific Ocean and keep swimming west. That's what the pioneers did. If the ocean hadn't been there to stop them, they would have just kept going. But it stopped them. Jesus offers us grace and love without condition, but not without expectation. Did you catch that? He offers us amazing grace, amazing love unconditionally, but not without expectation. I know it sounds weird, but it's true. God has expectations for us. Are you hearing them? Are you walking in them? So let's circle all the way back to Matthew 4:19. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. How many of you want to learn how to make fishers of men? How many of you want to learn how to become a better fisher of men? That should be on all of our hearts. I don't have this all figured out. I'm, I'm like you. I just I just keep leaning forward. Oh, man. But let me tell you something. If you want to become a fisher of men, you must first l- learn to become a follower. Who are you following? Are you following these podcasts that are all over the place that bounce around? Are you listening to 18 different things like you went to a smorgasbord and you got all this stuff? Or are you listening to something that's really grounded deep in the I mean I, you have to figure that out. There are some good podcasts out there. But I say at the end of the day, what are you doing that's drawing you closer to Jesus? What are you doing that's making you more available for Jesus? What are you doing to rearrange and change in your life so that you have more place and space for all of him? You have to decide that. So let's stand. Guys, what I'm hearing the Lord challenging us on is to really go back and revisit what it means not only to be a disciple, but how do we make more disciples? How do we do it without just doing this? How do we really do it? And I'm telling you, if if you want to step into that fray, that's what I'm going to call you into. If you want to step into that fray, you want to, yeah, just, I say, come on in. I want to learn with you. I'm not trying to create a program. I'm just trying to look at the word of God and see what Jesus did. What can we be doing that Jesus did that's going to help us not only bring people to him, but teach them how to follow him? That's my heart. And I think that's where God's taking us, discipleship. And again, please don't hear, oh, he's going to create another program. No, this is not a program. It should be a lifestyle. No, it should be more than a lifestyle. It should be our way of life. So, if you have determined in your heart that maybe I'm just not following Jesus like I should be, I want to follow him better, I want to follow him closer, then I'd like you to come forward. I want to pray for you. If you're in this point where you're going, you know, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Please come forward. We want to pray for you. We want to introduce you to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And some of you have been walking down a path that you know you're not supposed to be on that path. I'm going to tell you something. There are ancient paths that God is taking us back to. The ways of Babylon, the paths of Babylon that the world's been preaching and teaching is not the way to life. There are ancient paths that Jesus wants us walking on that will take us back to life. So let's just take this moment. If you want to really learn how to become a fisher of men. You're all in. I'd love for you to come forward. I want to pray over you that something would spark in your heart that would ignite a passion in you to want to learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're not following Jesus like you should. Come forward. We want to pray for you. Christianity isn't just this system of beliefs, guys, and it isn't just a lifestyle. It's a life that's transformed by Jesus. Is the path that you're on that you're on now? Is it really transforming you into the image of Jesus, Or is it just frustrating you? Yes. We say yes to more, Lord. We say yes to more. Thank you, God. Yes to more.
1: Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. If you're still hanging on to those grave clothes, I'd like to propose... Maybe you have become just a convert. Thank you, Jesus. Is it time for you to become a disciple That's good. and truly say yes to Jesus? Yes and all that He's called you into? If so, please come forward.
0: In this area over here, I just really sense that <clears throat> there's been some fracturedness in relationship, and I just see God's bringing healing to that. God's bringing integrity back to that relationship. Integrity demands that all the parts fit like God intended, and I just see in this area over here, God is bringing this what became imperfection back to perfection he's reuniting he's bringing back brokenness thank you jesus thank you jesus can we get some prayer ministry people up here prayer ministry people up here